These are the daily lectionary comments for December 4. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 10, uh, essentially uh, where, where the Lord further describes uh, how he is going to use Assyria to accomplish his work. And then when he's done uh, with that, what he's going to do to Assyria. And then in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, um, Peter's basically telling these Christians, look, you have been brought to life, and then he's going to give them encouragement and how to live uh, effectively uh, for him and bear much fruit. Okay, Isaiah chapter 10, beginning at verse 12. Fascinating little verse here, verse 12, it says, When the Lord has finished all his work on Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, he will punish the speech of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria, the boastful look in his eyes. Now listen to that. When the Lord has finished all his work on Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, finished his work. What he's talking about is Jerusalem uh, is going to be surrounded and besieged by the Assyrians and all Judah is going to be swarming with Assyrian soldiers. And many, many people are going to be carted off into exile as slaves, a lot of destruction. The northern tribes, of course, will be destroyed uh, as well. But here, uh, they would have been destroyed maybe 10 or 15 years earlier than this. But nevertheless, uh, uh, this is the work that he's going to do on Mount Zion. Jerusalem is going to be surrounded. Um, King Hezekiah is going to be pinned up in Jerusalem. Isaiah is going to be pinned up there with him. And, uh, and, and we're going to see what the Lord does in, in order to uh, rescue his people. But uh, putting it this way uh, is rather extraordinary when the Lord has finished the work that he's <laughs> done on Mount Zion and, and on Jerusalem, the work of chastising them. Of course, he'll have to do this again in another 125 years or maybe a little bit less, a little, about 100 years later. He's going to do it with Babylon. This time they're going into exile. But the present time, they're not going in exile. They're just going to be besieged. But then he, he describes uh, um, uh, in the, his attitude, God's attitude toward Assyria in some rather humorous uh, language here. Remember, I, I mentioned yesterday that God tasked Assyria with this job of chastening uh, his people. And then it's very angry at Assyria because let us just say Assyria enjoyed it too much and did not and did not go into this with the attitude that they, they are a servant of God, but rather a very uh, arrogant attitude that they own the world. So there's, uh, Isaiah is going to continue this theme here. And it says here in verse 15, shall the axe boast over him who hews with it or the saw magnify itself against him who wields it? So Assyria is an axe and a saw. God is wielding this axe and saw in order to hew and cut and chop at Jerusalem and Judah. And God is describing Assyria, who is the axe or the saw in his hand, as though uh, this thing is boasting. Uh, and of course, this is insane. Uh, who would think that the axe would boast over the one who wields it? Verse 16, therefore the Lord of hosts will send wasting sickness among stout warriors. So, yeah, you're going to go down there with all of your warriors, um, but, uh, but the Lord is going to have, shall we say, the last laugh. Uh, and we'll see how that works out uh, here in, uh, in Isaiah 36 uh, and in Second Kings. Now then, uh, then the attention turns 
to another great topic here in verse 20 and 21, and that's the remnant. Remember, Isaiah had a child, Shab, a remnant shall return. That was a big part of Isaiah's preaching, a remnant shall return. And here it says, verse 20, in that day, the remnant of Israel and the survivors of the house of Jacob will, uh, uh, will um, uh, no more lean on him who struck them. In other words, um, uh, they're, they're, well, but will lean on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel in truth. A remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob to the mighty God. As I mentioned this uh, yesterday, um, the, the northern tribes were consisted mostly of apostate uh, Israelites who were in rebellion against the house of David and were worshiping at false temples using idols. Uh, and of course their kings were awful and they were, the land was filled with false prophets. But there were believers up there. Remember Elijah. Elijah thought he was alone, but he wasn't alone. And the, the truth of the matter is that there were others who did not bend the knee to Baal. So it, with the destruction and dismantling of these rebellious tribes, um, people, Israelites, will be scattered all over the Assyrian Empire. Um, and some of these are, are, are believers. Some of these are faithful. Uh, and others were not faithful, but will become faithful through this chastisement. Uh, they will turn. To, to the Lord. And so he says that a remnant will return. And he's talking primarily about the northern tribe. He's also talking about anybody courted off in this, uh, in this um, Assyrian invasion from the south. I'll bring them back. But they will come back to Jerusalem and Judah. Nobody is going back to worship at the shrine at Bethel in Ephraim. Nobody is going to go to worship at the shrine in Dan in the north. The things that Jeroboam set up. Uh, you know, the, the, the rival sanctuaries and the rival priesthood, those are going away. The, the, there will be no further northern kings. There will be no dynasties in the north. Ephraim will cease to be a people. Um, and that's what, uh, uh, that's what Isaiah said and prophesied that within 65 years, he says uh, to Ahaz, within 65 years, Ephraim will not even be a people anymore. They will not be recognizable as a separate tribe. And of course, they were not. Uh, they were so transformed as a people, but there will be faithful among them, and God will uh, draw those people out to wherever they have been scattered, and he will return them to Jerusalem and Mount Zion. Of course, in Jeremiah's day, the same thing is going to happen again with, with the southern uh, tribe and Jerusalem, and then uh, the, uh, a remnant will return then also um, in a very similar, uh, similar way as this. So, okay. So that is, uh, that is Isaiah uh, chapter 10. Okay, now let's look at 2 Peter chapter 1. Right off the bat, we have something extraordinary uh, that uh, uh, Peter says. He says, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this is an apostle of the Lord, the sort of the first among equals of the apostles of the Lord, Peter himself, he is writing to other Christians and he says that their faith is of equal standing to his own. So we find out that in the kingdom of God, we are all uh, enjoy our status before God by faith on account of the righteousness of Jesus. 
not on account of our own righteousness. And the righteousness that saves Peter and allows him uh, to have access to God is exactly the same grace, the same Holy Spirit uh, uh, that, that God has given to each and every one of us, the same access to God, the same faith, because it's the same righteousness in Jesus Christ. So that's a wonderful and extraordinary thing uh, that he says. Now, I want you to look at uh, uh, verse 8 here. And, and um, he, he, he says, For these qualities are yours and are increasing. They keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you have been given faith and knowledge about Jesus. But he says there are other things that have been given so that uh, uh, you will not be ineffective or unfruitful. God has brought you to life in Jesus. But he has brought you to life and left you in this world so that you may serve him, so that you may be produced in this metaphor that Jesus uses over and over again, that you may bear fruit, that you may accomplish his purposes, whatever they are. And Jesus says, you know, some will accomplish uh, 90, some 60, some 30. Uh, So not, not everybody produces the same fruit. But what Peter is addressing now is the fact that you have been made alive in Christ. He has given you this faith. And so you, you, you stand before God and have access to God. But then Peter says, I, I don't want you to be unfruitful or ineffective. So what we need is we need to add some things to your faith. Now, by adding things, he doesn't mean so that you can be saved, but so that having been saved, you will not be ineffective or unfruitful or partially ineffective or partially unfruitful. So what do we need to add to our faith? So this is the thing. We don't want to say that the only thing that matters is that I believe. I believe and I'm going to heaven and that's the only thing that matters. That just completely ignores what Peter is saying here. That yeah, you have been given faith and made alive for a purpose. God's left you here. So to say that the only thing that matters is that I'm going to heaven is to say, who cares about what God wants with me? As long as I got what I want, eternal life, none of that matters. Well, Peter, Peter is assuming that those who have been made alive in Christ are going to want to serve their Lord effectively. So what he says is you need certain things here or certain things will help you. For example, supplement your faith, verse uh, 5 says, with virtue, personal virtue, and your virtue with knowledge, and your knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. All of these things to which we would add to our faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love, these are the things that allow us to serve God in the world and bear fruit to the glory of his name. This is how we exalt God's name. This is how we do his will. It is not how we are saved, but it is what we are saved for. And so Peter is very concerned uh, that we not just take our salvation and run, but instead receive our salvation, rejoice in it, and then protect it and try to do those things which will glorify God in this world and redound to the growth and and blessing of his kingdom. And that's what Peter uh, is talking about here. One last thing I want to note here is, beginning at verse uh, 16 and running to the end of our lesson today, Peter is going to be referring to 
um, this, uh, the, the voice uh, from, from heaven uh, and the, being an eyewitness to his majesty in verse 16. Uh, uh, verse 18 says, we ourselves heard the, the, the very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. What he's talking about here is the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus took Peter, James, and John up onto the Mount of Transfiguration and was transfigured before him, and they saw Moses and Elijah and then Jesus in, in glory. And we heard the voice from heaven. And so Peter is referring to this. What's very interesting is he goes on to say, uh, having talked about this, this glorious vision, he goes on to say in verse 19, and we have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Well, this is extraordinary because Peter is essentially saying, I saw Jesus in glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. But actually, as wonderful as that was, what is much more sure and much more important that we grab hold of is the prophetic word, the words of Holy Scripture, because these are the things that really enable us to know our Lord Jesus. Verse 20, it says, uh, uh, knowing, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God speaks to you and to me in Holy Scripture, and that is much, much more sure than having some incredible vision as Peter had on the Mount of Transfiguration, as wonderful as that is. Holy Scripture is a much sure foundation for every Christian, and Peter is encouraging the people to get their knowledge and their understanding from this Scripture and stand firm on it.